Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Athletic. 11 years and 13 major trophies later, it's the end of an era for Chelsea. Well, the news has just broken in the last few minutes that Emma Hayes, who's had such an amazing spell in charge of Chelsea women, uh, she's confirmed she's going to be leaving Chelsea women at the end of the season. She's set to be the new US women's national team coach, according to the Athletic sources. By the time you're listening, it may already have been announced. So how did this happen? Where does this leave English football? And what does it mean for the US team? I'm Sophie Penny, and from The Athletic, this is Full Time Europe. I'm here with The Athletic's women's football reporter, Charlotte Harper. Hi, Charlotte. Hello, Sophie. Our senior US women's soccer reporter, Meg Linehan, is joining us. Good morning from the US. We've also got The Athletic's football reporter, Adam Crafton, in with us as well. Hi, Adam. Hello. I want to start off by getting your reactions to when you heard this news. Charlotte, first of all, how did you feel when you heard it? I was quite shocked initially, but also sad. I really enjoy interacting with Emma Hayes. She's a fascinating person to talk to, and I think the WSL will be poorer without her. Yeah, her name had been coming up and coming up and coming up, so I don't think the surprise was there. The timing was surprising. And then obviously, you know, we'll get into this, but there is an immediate question about her hire for the U.S. Women's National Team. So, yeah, I think to some extent, surprise is probably the dominant emotion around this. I think impressed, you know, impressed both that I suppose from a proud kind of English perspective of, you know, this is one of arguably the plum job in women's soccer. Um, So to have an English coach taking that job is, you know, a big sense of pride. But I also think impressed that, you know, the US had had a really poor World Cup and then everyone's looking at them thinking, how are you going to respond to this? And they've basically gone out and taken the very, very top of the market. So I think that that was my feeling just... Okay, fair enough. Kind of on both sides of it. So she would be coming in to the US replacing Vlatko and Lenovsky, as you say, who left in August after the team's earliest World Cup exit ever in the round of 16. Four people in the US whose ears are pricked up at this story who maybe don't know as much about Emma Hayes. Charlotte, can you give us a bit of a background on her and her managerial career? Yes, Emma Hayes, she was born in Camden, North London, a very grounded person as well, very close to her family and her two sisters. She studied European studies, Spanish and sociology, so quite a worldly person as well. She did a master's in intelligence and international affairs and once applied for MI5. (laughs) No way. Yeah, a little anecdote for you there. Um, Regarding her managerial career, she started in the U.S., So was manager of Long Island Lady Riders, who were part of the semi-pro USLW League, and then became head coach at Iona College. She 
went back to the UK, was assistant at Arsenal, and she won the Champions League under Vic Akers there, returned to the US and managed women's professional soccer side Chicago Red Stars with her assistant, Denise Reddy. And that relationship is key there. And then she went back and joined Chelsea in 2012. And, and as you alluded to, 11 years, 13 trophies. She's won the league in England for the last four years. On the pitch, standards are high. She's very tough on her players. A winner, tactically astute. She is known for being a people person and getting the best out of their players. And not one size fits all for Emma Hayes. Uh, the way she manages Sam Kerr will be very different from the way she manages Fran Kirby, for example. She also has a very good relationship with the media. We had EasyJet cancellations in Lyon and Emma Hayes was the first one to say, anybody need a flight home, come on the um, team flight and we'll get you back on, on the private plane. I couldn't make it because I had meetings with Lyon the next day. So Susie Rack from The Guardian jumped on, but that's the kind of person Emma Hayes is. Adam, you said before this is kind of the plum job in women's soccer, the US women's national team coach. Can you explain why this move is such a big deal in England and the US and why it's kind of being felt outside women's football as well? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a huge deal. I mean, we'll get into kind of the kind of contract side of it very soon. But I think this is going to be a pretty huge story, actually, internationally in sport, in the sense of if you know, as we think they very well may do, US soccer go about equal pay here for their women's coach, sorry, for the coach of their women's team, as the same as Greg Behalter, the coach of the men's team, it would essentially be more than tripling, I think, the previous head coach's salary. So, you know, you're talking there about a really landmark moment in in sport. And I think it will create very interesting conversations, you know, if you look here at home in England, for example, right? I'm pretty sure... You know, Serena Wiegmann might look at Gareth Southgate and think, well, actually, if the US are leading the way on this, shouldn't shouldn't our country be doing that as well? And I I think that that has the potential to create a really significant precedent, but it's not as though US soccer have Pep Guardiola managing the men's team at the moment. So it's not as though you have some of those really, really extortionate salaries, but you're still looking at around, you know, pushing $2 million a year. Which is, which is a significant commitment. So I think for that reason, you'll feel tremors of it outside of the sports pages in some way over the, over the coming weeks. But just in terms of you know, the job of the, the US women's national team is, it's incredibly well followed. There's huge potential for growth. There's huge commercial appeal. We've seen the impact, the global impact of people like Meg Rapino in the last few years. And for Emma Hayes to be at the front of that, is an, is an amazing thing, really, I think, for an English coach. Adam, what more can you tell us about how the deal was done? Is there any behind-the-scenes info you can give us? Yeah, look, I, th- I think clearly this has been a process that's been ongoing for, you know, really since the um, World Cup, that the US have known that they needed uh, a, a new head coach, and th- they clearly had various candidates. I think they managed to keep Emma Hayes a bit of a secret in the sense of, I suppose, the extent of the conversations and, and how far they had gone. But attentions have always been around, can you persuade her to step away from Chelsea? Can you persuade her to step away from club football? And, and can you hit a number, right, that makes all of that sufficiently appealing? And 
it looks as though they've managed to do that for her in a way that probably concedes certain you know certain things that they would have outlined probably at the start of their process as their aims it's almost as though the candidate that they've managed to attract has meant that you know sometimes you hire people in life and you're like I want that person so much that I'm willing to give up these other things that I thought might be non-negotiable you know and, and that's what we're maybe seeing around you know the next six months um, and the uncertainty that, that that lays around that especially from my end the timing of it was a shock to staff and players. Most of the staff found out, along with the players, an hour after the Aston Villa game on Saturday, which Chelsea won 6-0, came into the dressing room and, and the news was made known to the players and most of the staff. And then the club statement was released. So I understand if leaks are happening and the club wants to nip it in the bud, but it, it really seemed a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. Clearly, I can't imagine US soccer would have been thrilled in the sense of, you know, the Chelsea statement basically signposts where she's going, given I think they said the job was outside of Europe and outside of club football. Outside of England, I think, and outside of club football. Outside England, yeah. They basically were just like, Emma Hayes is your new women's national team coach. Please welcome to the stage, Emma Hayes. Yeah, it was like... If you just look west and the big country over there, maybe something going on. And I suppose, given that it, does, it doesn't appear that the detail, uh, clearly the the thrust of the deal was done, but maybe you know not completely over the line. So it does create, you know, if if for some reason it was to go then go wrong after Chelsea put the statement out, I mean, it gives that case quite a lot of leverage in in that situation. And also, like if it wasn't to be completely done, then. Chelsea just sort of put out another statement being like, oh, actually, guys, sorry, we went a bit early. Actually, you can still stay if you want to. I've um, seen a lot of fake accounts saying that. Right. So, I mean, my, my my impression actually is that even if that was to happen, and I really don't think it will, there's, there doesn't appear to be any reason why this won't get over the line. I think Emma Hayes' time at Chelsea would be done anyway, to be honest, at the end of the season. I think it's been a long time. She's a sing, single mum with a little boy, I think the, the grind of club football has weighed. She was quite unwell last year. She lost her dad. You know, Chelsea's takeover was an incredible burden on her in terms of the way it was handled by the outgoing club. And then you've had all the changes that have been going on at Chelsea since. So, so all, all of those factors kind of conspire together, I think, to make this the right time uh, for Emma Hayes to leave Chelsea. But I'm pretty sure, you know, US soccer probably would have wanted to own that moment slightly more um, and direct all that lovely traffic to you know their announcement videos unveiling press conferences and all and all of that kind of stuff and around having sponsors all over it and even after the awkwardness of how you do the announcement it's still unclear as we record how the next six or seven months are going to play out how involved will emma hayes be with the u.s women's national team while she sees out her time at chelsea The Olympics are just two months after Emma Hayes would finish her job with Chelsea. So Charlotte, is there a sense here that actually some of these issues could be solved if Chelsea just found a new replacement a bit quicker? Do you know if they've started that process or who they might be looking at? From my understanding, they they haven't started a process. Nobody's been approached. There aren't any long lists or short lists. No one is a candidate or a favorite as such i mean 
they will be jotting down names on paper. But the process hasn't started. And Chelsea haven't had to do that for 11 years. They don't know what a managerial process looks like. I imagine the talent pool is actually very shallow because they want the best and will recruit the best. But who is a club manager that is available who are going to out-dominate Chelsea? There's only really one team and that's Barcelona. The other thing that you have to think about as well is options. So names have been mentioned like NWSL manager for San Diego Wave, Casey Stoney. She's believed to be a strong candidate. Having managed at Manchester United, she has experience of the WSL. Laura Harvey, OL Rain manager at the moment, has also been mentioned. There are others. Willie Kirk has done a fantastic job at Leicester, but Leicester is a completely different kettle of fish to Chelsea. Mark Parsons, who went to manage at the Netherlands uh, and now managing over in the States as well. He was the former academy director at Chelsea. But the strange thing is, is that Chelsea have time. They won't be pressurised into making an appointment. And that's quite unusual for the volatile nature of the football industry. It's almost too much time because they really have the pressure to, to get it right. It could almost be like the whole season ends up being a farewell tour for Emma Hayes as well, which I think will be, it might actually put extra pressure on the players as well, that pressure to win her that final Champions League in the season. I wonder how it will actually affect the Chelsea results. But I suppose the biggest effect on Chelsea that we need to think about is after Emma Hayes leaves. We did get a little taste of how... Chelsea would handle life without Emma Hayes, didn't we? Um, She had six weeks off last season after an emergency hysterectomy. Here's what Emma Hayes herself said on how they coped without her. I think for a leader, the biggest compliment you can ever get is what someone does in your absence. Mm -hmm. And the fact that our environment could lead itself. Yes, Denise and Paul stepped up and I'm Mm -hmm. so grateful for that. But the environment could take care of itself because of the work we've probably done over a number of years. Obviously mentioning there, Paul Green, the general manager, and Denise Reddy, the assistant manager, there's strong rumours that Emma Hayes will be taking Denise Reddy with her to the United States. So Charlotte, what does a post-Emma Hayes and potentially post-Denise Reddy Chelsea look like? Do fans need to be concerned about retaining players and what the results might look like? Firstly, I just want to pick up from a point that you mentioned, Sophie, about this season. My understanding is that Hayes will stay until the end of the season and they've won the last four league titles. So there's no doubt that she'll want to go out on a high, especially with the Champions League. But if you think back to Alex Ferguson at Manchester United, you know he said in his autobiography is that when the team thought he would be leaving, they slackened off. And a constant tactic of his was always to have his players on the edge. So Emma Hayes really has to maintain that standard that we know she is adept at doing for the Chelsea team. But players will be thinking, well, if you're going to leave, how do I perform? Of course, you know, the narrative will be, I'll do my best for this manager, et cetera, et cetera. But this season, this current season will be really interesting because there is an element of uncertainty. No one knows what's happening next. And what about next season, Charlotte? Sam Kerr, Frank Kirby, contracts are up at the end of this season. You know, how do you convince players like that to to stay? Great question. Anne Katrenberger is also out of contract. Maren Mielder as well. And we know that Hayes 
is such an influential part of not only recruiting players, if you think of the recruits coming in, someone like Hannah Hampton or even Mia Fischel and Kat Macario, they would have been persuaded and impressed by you know, the powerhouse that Emma Hayes is. And losing Emma Hayes won't just affect Chelsea, it will affect the league as a whole, won't it? Arsenal, Man United, Man City fans probably rubbing their hands together. Will it make the league more competitive? Will it give other teams a chance? I think there's a real legacy that Emma Hayes leaves behind her in the WSL here as well, in terms of her innovative approach to women's football, planning training around menstrual cycles, pushing for education on nutrition and research into female footballers and ACL injuries, hiring pelvic floor coaches. She's really seen as a pioneer and I think she's very much going to be missed. It will be very interesting to see how the league moves on without her. You're listening to Full Time Europe with Sophie Penny. Meg, how is this being seen from the US side? Because I think from the English side, there's a big sense that Emma Hayes, our you know, English product, has managed to land the biggest job in women's football. Is there a consciousness of who Emma Hayes is in the States? You know, Is this seen as the big coup that we're seeing it as? I think for people within this world, yes, right? Like there is absolutely an awareness of who Emma Hayes is. Maybe like a casual sports fan, if they see the scroll on ESPN is like, okay, that's nice. I don't know who that is. But, you know, for anyone who follows the NWSL, who follows the U.S. Women's National Team, I think there's also an awareness of Emma Hayes even more recently just because Kat Macario and Mia Fischel went over to Chelsea, right? So there is now this <laughs> this relationship that has already existed. So that is helpful. The interesting thing is like, yes, there is kind of this one major question hanging over this hire, and that's how the timing and logistics are going to work out. But generally, it is seen as landing a big fish, right? Like they went out, they were ambitious, they, they knew that <laughs> the round of 16 was unacceptable. And honestly, like, what's so funny about talking about this World Cup is, like, the round of 16 game was actually their best game. It's just more like you look at how they performed in the group stage, and it's like, okay, you need to fix that 100%. And what I find really interesting about this is just that Vlako Andonovsky, when he got hired in 2019, after Jill Ellis steps down, she's won two World Cups, right? Vlako Andonovsky was kind of the consensus choice, at the time. He was the favorite for the job, came into great acclaim. Players were super excited. Carly Lloyd's coming out of games just being like, I I love this. I love this. Like I'm actually getting individual development. Everybody's so happy. And this is not necessarily an easy locker room to come into. There's a lot of big personalities. I think you have to have a certain personality yourself to want to come in to this job, knowing what the expectations are, knowing what the personalities are. And it's going to be a very different moment in time compared to 2019 of everybody I think is a little more tense. The Olympics are coming up. You have a mission there. And so, yeah, I think her background in the U.S. is definitely helpful, but there is this sense of you have an outsider coming in, essentially, to try to come in and figure out how do you fix things. As you say, one of the uncertainties is how exactly over the next, I suppose, six, seven months in the lead up to to the Olympics this is actually all managed because we, we've reported over the weekend that Chelsea certainly want Emma Hayes exclusively focused on the rest of their season, on trying to win, you know, trying to go out by winning the Champions League, by winning a fifth consecutive 
uh, WSL title. Now, from my impression and engagement with the US over the years is, the US doesn't love to be kind of on the back burner. You know, that, that is not the way America works, right? You know, accepting right. that, you know, someone's got a bit of business to attend to and then they'll get round to you when they're ready for it. Does it risk, I suppose, eroding some goodwill early on if, you know, it's essentially seen as she just doesn't really do anything for the next six or seven months? And then if, for example... Because I think the intention is to be there for the Olympics in some capacity, which means it's very open. So she, I suppose in theory could be head coach, but it could also be one, you know, like when managers come in and they're sat in the stands observing for the, mm-hmm. first, for the first few games. We're just not quite sure yet how that's going to work out. Does it risk eroding some of the early patience that you would naturally get as a, as a new coach? I think there's that. I think there's also potential risk of frustration with players who want to turn around from that World Cup and make a statement at the Olympics. Yes, the Olympics are not as as important a turn. The World Cup is number one, obviously, totally understand that. But players very much want to go to the Olympics and make a statement. And that has been kind of mission number one of you have this chance to turn it around immediately. And so the timing of this does kind of imply of the Federation, Matt Crocker as, as technical director, has said, okay, the bigger project for us is 27, right? And that can be a valid decision for the Federation to make. But that doesn't mean that the players might enjoy it in like the actual day to day. The other part of it, too, is just, you know, I think that there is still kind of like, there's some like hope, right, of Matt Crocker, for instance, in theory, was going to do this thing where he stayed in his current role and then came over eventually. And he came over earlier than planned. Like basically his current position was like, you know what, this whole double <laughs> double deal right now is just not working for us. Go ahead. So I think maybe U.S. soccer or Matt Crocker even is like, mm, work for me. Like, you know, if Chelsea suddenly magically get some appointment coming in, maybe we'll luck out and get her early. But I, I just think you know, what we have seen from the U.S. women's national team over the past four games without a head coach with an interim is just this holding pattern. And so there is understandable concern right at this moment of like, how <laughs> how do you prepare for a tournament? How do you pre- and, and it's not even just Olympics. We have the first Women's Gold Cup happening in February into March, too. So there's a couple moments here where it's like you you would want your permanent head coach in the mix right now. Yeah, the interim manager could be in place for nine months, couldn't they? If if they just kept it till Emma Hayes finished at Chelsea with the Champions League. And what is really interesting is, you know, when I was in the room in US soccer headquarters in September, when Matt Crocker's kind of laying out the process for this hire and what he's thinking, and someone asked him, would you be interested essentially in a caretaker manager through the Olympics in order to get us through this like next year, basically, and then maybe think about like what that opens up for you in terms of candidates. And he was like, no, absolutely not. But that is essentially a version of what's happening here. So there was a concession made. You're listening to Full Time Europe from The Athletic. I want to move more onto the question of what Emma Hayes could do in the US, whether she can actually help this team that's clearly struggling right now. Let's have a listen to Jeff Ruta, the Athletics Jeff Ruta, who's broken down Emma Hayes's 
tactics and management style for us. And then we can have a think about how that will fit into the U.S. women's national team. The U.S. soccer is not hiring some tactical savant, somebody who's going to come in and say, this is how my team has to play and we will get results as long as we play this way. She's a pragmatist. She's a tactical chameleon, someone whose primary driver isn't the style of a win, but purely ensuring that her team will, in fact, win the matchup. Uh, she embraces width. It is one of the, the, the main tenets of play that is recognizable from her Chelsea side over the last few seasons in particular. Uh, with the ball, fullbacks are encouraged to press forward. Uh, wingers are uh, at times playing invertedly to cut inside and take their own shot. Uh, in the middle of the park. Other times they are asked to provide with, with crossing options as well. Sometimes you have one of each, but ultimately they are allowed to do so and it is not defensively inadvisable because her midfield will stay in front of the back line rather than joining into it uh, in transitions. And as a result of that, the center of the park is so congested that opponents with the ball will also be looking into the wide spaces. Um, and, and ultimately the entire thing is to try to force them into thinking that they will have to play through crosses, but then immediately cutting down those crossing options <laughs> so that they are actually nullified and, and pretty much just rendered into a dead end and the cycle continues. She's, she's very flexible with her formation. She is very willing to admit that plan A uh, will not work <laughs> if she can readily identify that plan B will be much better for that particular match and she does not wait until halftime or until calamity strikes to make those changes. And that goes back to kind of one of the main factors of Emma Hayes, the manager, which is her understanding of players, her uh, desire, craving to truly know what's going on in their minds, both on the field and off of it, and be able to embolden them and get them ready to do their best on the field. She is a coach who obviously will succeed because of the quality of her players, but she doesn't see that as a fault. Instead, she will find a way to get that quality group of players to get their best, which is exactly what the U.S. Women's National Team needs at this point after failing to get a top three finish in a World Cup for the first time in program history. For more on that, check out Jeff's article on The Athletic. Meg, I want to come to you first. From what you've heard there from Jeff... Do you think that Emma Hayes' style is going to be a good fit? So what is very fascinating to me, again, to, to circle back to what Crocker said in September, because I think this is one of the main issues that came out of this past World Cup, is that the U.S. women's national team, and honestly the U.S. men's national team, don't necessarily have like a understandable style of play, right? You can't look at that team and say, like, that's the U.S. women's national team. And so what I think has been kind of interesting to to watch this all line up is that Emma Hayes is kind of known as someone who will just figure out like what each game needs, right? And that is that is kind of opposite of what maybe one of the missions was, was to figure out like what a U.S. team kind of looks like consistently. So that's a longer term question and not maybe the, the most immediate thing of because I think Emma Hayes can come in and the talent is there that you can you can kind of survive <laughs> through probably the first few games pretty easily. Right. Like the talent is there. The, the talent is also, I think, going to align with her usual standards as a coach and like how she would approach it using the wings, all that kind of stuff. Like I'm not necessarily worried about the immediate this is how it's going to work out. The bigger question is, how does Emma Hayes maybe reshape this team in her image? Because from everything that I have read about Emma Hayes is that like, it does actually take a little bit of time for her to eventually get 
her vision onto the field. Yeah, it took her three years, didn't it, to win at Chelsea. Her first trophy in 2015. And what the other challenge, too, of course, is that, like, at a club, you're with those players, like, every day. That is not what's going to happen with a national team. And this is what has always been every conversation I've ever had with a club coach who then goes to a senior national team. They have gone, like, you kind of expect you're going to have more access to these players and you you don't have that, right? So you have to get that vision across in these 10-day windows where players are kind of coming in late. You know, Lindsay Horan's on a flight back from France. She's not going to be in for the first day of training. You're trying to manage all of these things all at the same time. So I'm still kind of more thinking about bigger picture stuff of how do you get Emma Hayes' vision into this team ahead of 2027? And that, to me, is the big question that I don't really know what this is going to look like because I think task number one is immediately post-Olympics. I don't know how she influences this roster for Olympics, right? You have an 18-player roster. It's just it's a completely different process for Olympics. How do you have Emma Hayes selecting that 18? I don't think you can if she's at Chelsea until Champions League final, potentially. So the next immediate task is you've got to come in and do your talent assessment and figure out who's doing what leading into 2027. She's got to be able to communicate this vision into a team who she doesn't really know in a very short space of time. I mean, this is pure speculation, but the fact that she recruited Kat Makari and Mia Fischel into her Chelsea team could be a good avenue. Was she planning it all along? Get those messages. <laughs> yeah, it, it's been planned for years. Yeah, We're all shocked by the timing, but it, it's a way because they know how her, she works. Yeah, you have ambassadors, essentially, right? Doing advance work. Yeah, exactly. My impression of having spent time with her is I think the thing she may find difficult is, as you've been saying, the the loss of complete control. You know, you go from Chelsea where you have such a so much credit in the bank, so much deference, so much power, really, in terms of, you know, she, she, she is Chelsea, even to the extent that, you know, when Roman Abramovich before he sold the club, he initially tried to move it to some trustees of the Chelsea Foundation, of which she was one. So for a few weeks, she was one of about four or five people who looked like she might even end up accidentally owning the club for a few for a few weeks. I mean, that was kind of the extent of, I suppose, respect that she'd built up at Chelsea. And the other thing is she has such an input over, I think, like the individual routines, physically, nutritionally, over each player as well. You can't really do that as a national team coach in quite the same way. You know, you you really have to defer to the clubs on that. And that can often lead to tensions, actually, between club and country over, you know, is this the best way to train a player? Is this the best way to keep them fit? Is this the best way to monitor them? And then if you try and change what they've been doing at their club in the 10 days where you have them internationally, then it can lead to issues. Just going back to what you were saying around the style of play, I think the reality now is just that international football is more pragmatic. You know, you can aspire to a, a style of... It's why, like, you know, when people say Pep Guardiola could be a brilliant international coach. I mean, but when do you have the time, really? You know, when do you actually have the time to introduce so many patterns? So I do think this kind of quite pragmatic ma- marriage of the nation that has to win with the coach that always seems to win, apart from the Champions League, of course does make some sense in that in that regard but as you say if they've laid out 
as Crocker seem to be, we want this US identity, we want this identity, this style of play that you can pass on from one coach to another. I'm not necessarily sure Emma Hayes is that person. Right, we're going to have to wrap up this discussion, but this is an ongoing story, obviously, so make sure uh, you follow it on The Athletic. Thank you to Adam Crafton, Meg Linehan and Charlotte Harper. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can grab a subscription to The Athletic for just £1.99 a month for 12 months at theathletic.com slash WSL. And before you get on with your day, do leave us a quick rating and review and follow Full Time Europe on your podcast feed. You can also get in touch with us direct on Twitter at S-P-E-N-N-E-Y 4, that's me, and at The Athletic FC. Speak to you next week. Bye for now. You've been listening to Full Time Europe, part of the Athletic Football Podcast Network. The producer was Sophie Penny and the executive producer was Abby Patterson. To discover and listen to other great athletic podcasts just like this one, including our brand new daily football briefing, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. The Athletic.